I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to be looking at three verses, 23, 24, 25 of 2 Kings chapter 2. What I'd like to do is, since there's three sections, we'll just have each section read a different verse. Let's start over here. I usually start over there. I'm going to start over here. You guys are verse 23. You guys are verse... Very good. And then you get the honorable job of finishing it up with verse 25. All right. So, 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning with verse 23. And let us read together on this side. From there... Here, let's do it again. All right. Are we ready? All right, here we go. From... What's that? 21? Is that, did I have the wrong one on there? What does it say in verse 21? It's 23, right? All right, let's just start. Joel, start him off. I know what my problem was. I have the NIV translation, not ESV. So there you go. I know. All right. What are you going to do? So at uh, first glance, this scripture text seems to be maybe the favorite of follically challenged youth ministers who want to deal with unruly youth kids. Or maybe in our context, it's follically challenged theology professors who want to deal with uh, unruly students. So, by the way, I did get permission from uh, Dr. Armstrong to make fun of him this morning. So, uh, just in case any of you were wondering wondering about that. Um, Some scholars actually believe that this is what's going on, that maybe this was just some sort of story that grandmothers told their disobedient grandchildren in order to scare them straight kind of thing, right? That's going on here. Hey, if you don't listen to those who are in charge and authority, then this is going to happen to you. Um, I think we need to reject that from the outset. That's not what's happening here. Um, Although this text has caused lots of consternation and confusion among scholars and and Christians, I actually don't think it's really all that confusing. And I don't really think that it's um, a disconnect with what we see in 2 Kings and what's happening in regards to Elisha's own ministry. And what we want to do, though, is we want to start off and we want to talk about the context of what's going on here, okay? Um, we see that in the beginning verse that Elisha is going where? Where is he going? He's going to Bethel, right? By the way, Bethel means house of God. I want you to keep that in mind. He's going to Bethel. But there's something that interesting happened in Bethel 80 years before. Evil King Jeroboam actually made this a place of idol worship. Ironically, he had a golden calf place there. You would think, we've heard this story before, haven't we? Didn't they learn their lesson? No, they didn't learn their lesson. And so we see for 80 years that Bethel, ironically, the place called the house of God, 
becomes the house of idolatry. And that really becomes the context of what's going on here and why these boys are coming out and, and making fun of Elisha, okay? They are disregarding him and his ministry there. By the way, too, we want to talk about this idea of uh, boys, okay? I, I think this is a bit misleading in the text. I don't know about you. I read boys. I think of, like, maybe elementary kids, maybe middle school kids, right? That might be a good picture. Anyone, anyone, anyone been a teacher of uh, elementary or middle school kids, right? Becky Peters, right? You're thinking, I've seen boys act that way, right, that age? So, but in the Hebrew text here, it indicates that these are boys of marrying age. So maybe really better for us to see it as being young adults. Guys who are in their teens to, to about up to 30 years old, okay? So range uh, of ages that are given here, people of their marrying age. And so we see, though, that there are mocking... Elisha in this text. Now, one of the things you have to understand is that when you, in that time, when you mocked a prophet of God, it was understood that you were mocking God himself. Okay? If you mocked a prophet of God, that was a direct affront to God himself. And so they are disdaining Elisha and his ministry, and therefore they are also disregarding and disdaining God, which is not surprising given the context, right, that they're all idol worshippers. All idol worshippers are going on here. Now, let's talk... Um, oh, by the way, too, um, the way that they do their mocking, this is why I had the NIV in my text, is that I actually prefer the NIV on here. Um, go on up is what they say in the NIV. Now, the reason why I prefer the NIV here is because it has a direct relationship to what happens previous in 2 Kings, okay? Before the story, we read the story of Elijah who goes up to heaven in a chariot in a whirlwind. And I think that is indeed the context we understand their mocking in their words to Elisha because they probably heard the rumors, the stories about Elisha, or excuse me, Elijah going on up. They didn't care for Elijah and his ministry, what he was doing, what he was calling the people to. And so they want Elisha to also to disappear and to be gone. Now, what about boldness? You know, this is, this is a, an interesting thing when you, when you uh, study the, the different scholars on this and the commentaries. Everyone seems to have sort of a different answer in regards to this. Some people just say that maybe Elisha is just dealing with early onset male pattern baldness. Uh, that might be what's going on here. But you know what? I, I also kind of wonder as well, because in Isaiah chapter 3, baldness is considered to be a curse from God. So maybe that might be behind what these boys are thinking about Elisha. Maybe he's a cursed individual. Okay? We're going to talk more about cursing here in a moment, because that's an important thing about this text. But I also wonder too, though, if maybe... Ezekiel comes into play here a little bit. Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 1 and following, we, we read about how Ezekiel is commanded by God to cut off his hair. Okay? And it becomes a symbol of God's judgment, of God's cursing to Israel. Ezekiel himself is not being cursed, but rather it becomes a symbol of that this is what all of Israel has become in the eyes of God. So maybe something similar is happening here with Elisha. Now, 2 Kings chapter 2 doesn't really say, 
But I think it is interesting to see that we see this with another prophet elsewhere in Scripture. So, All right, enough about baldness. What about this idea of cursing? Because really, this is what's at stake in regards to a lot of consternation from scholars and Christians over the centuries, is that this idea of that he curses in the name of the Lord. And this seems to be a little bit at odds with what we, what we uh, studied last week, with Numbers chapter 22 and Balaam. And remember how he was sent to go curse Israel, and he was stopped from cursing Israel and rather pronounced a blessing on Israel there. Um, so we kind of have to wrestle through this a little bit. Now, here's the thing you have to understand about cursing in the ancient world. Cursing in the ancient world isn't like what I saw on Saturday morning cartoons. I don't know about you. I know they don't have such thing as Saturday morning cartoons anymore, but, which is a tragedy to me. But um, I grew up watching Looney Tunes and Wacky Racers and stuff like that. Does anyone know what, the, know what those are? All right, some of you know what that is. You have Cartoon Network, right? There was always that villain that said, Curses! Foiled again! Do you remember that guy? Right? Now... I think a lot of times we think of that kind of thing when it comes to cursing, when we see it scripture, but that's not at all the context going on here. Cursing in the ancient world always had physical consequences to it. You always want to seek to bring physical harm to somebody. And that physical harm came about not by your own means or your own power. Rather, in the ancient world, you would have magical incantations that you would use to call up the name of a deity or spirit that you knew had the power to be able to enact that cursing upon that person. Okay? Now, somewhat similar but very different, we see the same thing in regards to what happens in the Old Testament and the idea of cursing in the name of the Lord. You see here, though, the idea of cursing is never something that's initiated by the prophet. The prophet doesn't, doesn't seek to curse by their, own, by their own means or their own power or whatever. In fact, rather they are commanded by God to bring about the curse, right? God speaks to them and tells them that they are to curse. And so we see an example of this in Deuteronomy 28, verses 14 and 15. And the, and the Levites uh, are told to declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and set up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. That's an interesting context, right, in regards to 2 Kings 2 and, and Bethel being a place of idolatry. So cursing here was commanded by God for them to bring about a curse because it wasn't their own curse. It was the curse of God. Now let's talk about the nature of the cursing and what happened here. The she-bears. Does that seem kind of random to you? These couple bears kind of wander out of the woods and then all of a sudden tear into these, to these young adults and kind of move on? Well, here's the thing. It's actually not random because in Leviticus chapter 26, we read about this section on the blessing and curses of the covenant. And the people of Israel, um, they, as making their covenant with God, they understood and they even spoke and agreed with God when God said, if you follow my covenant, if you do these things, you will be blessed. Your land will be fruitful. You will be fruitful and produce more offspring and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's also a downside to that. And God says, if you don't follow the covenant, then these punishments or these curses will come upon you. And I want you to see this one curse in particular. And it says, And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number. 
so that your roads shall be deserted. You see, what's happening in 2 Kings chapter 2 with Elisha is in keeping with the covenantal curses section. Right? They've abandoned the true God in favor of idols. And so now they're suffering the consequences of that and they're being cursed and, and finding that curse in particular being the wild animals that come and tear into the children. There's also another important Old Testament passage here that I think we need to look at in regards to this. From Deuteronomy chapter 5. Um, let's read this one together. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I said earlier that it was 80 years prior to the events of 2 Kings chapter 2 that, that evil King Jeroboam had established the idol worship of the, the golden calf there in Bethel. Now, one of these you have to understand is that in Scripture, a generation is 40 years. So there had already been pre previous two generations of idol worship going on there. And now these boys, these young men, represent a third generation of doing that. And so represent, actually, um, of those who hate me, okay? Of people that continue that hate, the disdain of God. And you notice that text, again, really is talking about idolatry. Idolatry. And that sin of idolatry that just continued on in that particular place of Bethel and then finds itself being punished by the covenant curses. Now, in some senses, this really shouldn't have been a surprise to the Israelites because of the fact that they understood what those covenants were and understood the consequences of those covenants. But again, you know, they made a golden calf again too as well. So maybe, maybe we should have realized that sometimes it's easy to forget such things. So, what do we do with all of this? The one thing is that although this story really helps us to see that this is in line with what's happening with Elisha's ministry and what he's doing there, and really that this is not just some sort of, some odd, odd duck story going on here, okay? But at the same time, I'm sure maybe this story still makes you feel a little uncomfortable. And you know what to say? Good. You should feel uncomfortable. Why? Because it's about God's judgment. Now, if any of you begin to feel warm and fuzzy about God's judgment, I have some concerns about you, all right? If that's the case, please make an appointment with Lisa and come and see me, and we'll talk about that, all right? right? God's judgment makes us feel uncomfortable because of what God is doing in punishing sin. So now the question becomes, though, too, where do we see Jesus in all of this? You know, I came upon a, an early church father who brought up a very interesting parallel. And he said, just like Elisha was being mocked by those young men, so too we see Jesus in his ministry and his life being mocked. And the particular place where we see that at is right in his trial with Pilate. One of those words that we hear, crucify him, crucify him. 
Then also on the cross itself, we read about how they mocked Jesus. And so that brings us to the crucifixion. And, and to these words of Paul in regards to Jesus. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You see, Jesus took on the fullness of those old covenant curses in himself. In making a new covenant by his own blood, he takes on all that in the fullness of the cross. And that, and that by the way, should bring us comfort and hope. To know that in Christ, we don't have to worry about such things. That in Christ, we don't need to worry about some wild animals wandering from the wilds of Irvine to tear into us for the sins that we do, right? That Christ has become that curse for us. That in Christ, we may become a blessing and a blessing to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ministry of the prophets. Although their words at times bring discomfort and distress to us, we know that they are for our benefit. Our benefit to call us to task for our idolatrous ways in order for us to turn back to God to find hope and forgiveness in our Savior, Jesus. May we be careful not to disdain the continual preaching of your word in our lives today so as to continually cling to Jesus with whom our dependence is found. In Christ's name we pray, and we pray together. Amen.